Hi, this is Roy Shoman, and welcome again to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, the show on Radio Maria that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church, or seen the other way around, that celebrates the fulfillment, the full realization of the promise, all of the promise of Judaism in the Catholic Church and her sacraments. Now, today is a special day for a number of reasons, at least two. One is that we have just passed the Feast of the Presentation earlier this week. And um, the other reason is that this is the first Saturday. And I think many of us know about the first Saturday promises that uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary came uh, gave through Fatima. Of um, uh, If people observe the first Saturday devotions for five consecutive Saturdays, they would be... Uh, ensured of the graces necessary to reach heaven. And, of course, one of those uh, requirements was to pray the rosary, and another requirement was to spend at least 15 minutes meditating on one of the Marian mysteries. So you see the two kind of go together, because we just had the presentation, and meditating on the presentation would certainly uh, satisfy the requirement for a meditation on a Marian mystery from the Rosary. And um, so I was going to dedicate today's show to the Feast of the Presentation and the fact of the Presentation. And there's another reason why this is very relevant for today's show, which is, of course, that the theme of the show, uh, the theme of the series, is the transformation of Judaism into the Catholic Church. And the presentation is one of those Catholic feast days that revolves around a Jewish sacramental event. That is the presentation of the child in the temple and the purification, the ritual purification of the mother. So in the presentation, we see the Blessed Virgin Mary and the infant Jesus fulfilling, fulfilling sacramental requirements of the Jewish law. So it's evidence, I don't want to say evidence is an understatement, but it's an illustration of the fact that Jesus was in fact the Jewish Messiah and that he was born a Jew and lived a Jew and the Blessed Virgin Mary was a Jew and they were in fact observant Jews and were faithful to the Jewish law. And in fact, it was precisely religious Judaism, the Jewish law, that was transformed into the Catholic Church. And so here we have a kind of a vivid illustration picture of that transformation. And in fact, the presentation itself, the fact that the male child, I'd better back up one step. Um, two things took place on the presentation. It was to take place 40 days after the birth of, a, of the child. You know what? Rather than tie myself in knots, I will begin with reading an account of the presentation from um, Mary of Agrida, her uh, city of God, and she will do a more precise job than I was about to start doing of describing the liturgical, the Jewish liturgical role of the presentation. So I'm reading from a book book 2, I believe, of the City of God, chapter 29, on the 
presentation of the child Jesus in the temple and the purification of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Already, the 40 days after the birth of a son, during which a woman, according to the law, was considered unclean, and during which she was obliged to continue her purification for her readmission to the temple, were coming to a close. This law is laid out in Leviticus chapter 22. That's one of the so-called books of Moses. It's a book of the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, which, according to Jewish belief, were dictated by God to Moses on top of Mount Sinai. In order to comply with the law and satisfy another obligation contained in Exodus, the 13th chapter, which demanded the sanctification and presentation to the Lord of all the firstborn sons, the mother of all purity prepared to go to Jerusalem, where she was to appear in the temple with her son as the only begotten of the Eternal Father and purify herself according to the custom of other women. She had no doubts about complying with that part of the law, which applied to herself in common with other mothers. Okay, so we see two separate sacramental requirements being, ritual requirements being performed on this day. This is called, in the Western Church, is called the Feast of the Purification. It's also sometimes called the Feast of the Presentation. Both things happen on the same day. The infant Jesus was presented in the temple and purchased back, ransomed back from God uh, with the price of two turtle doves. And also the Blessed Virgin Mary presented herself in the temple for ritual purification. Now, those two events were in obedience to two distinct separate laws. One of those laws, which was from Leviticus, is that after a woman gives birth to a male child, she is uh, considered ritually unclean for 40 days, after which she goes through a ritual mikvah, a, a ritual cleansing in a ritual bath, and presents herself in the temple as having been purified from the ritual uncleanliness which she bore for 40 days after giving birth to a male child. And that's the purification of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Obviously, it wasn't necessary in the ordinary sense because she hardly um, con contracted any impurity, but she did it in order to be fully obedient to the law and to show her total unquestioning embrace of God's will. We'll get to that a little further in this reading. So that's one of these events. So we could think of it as the Feast of the Purification for that reason. It's also the Feast of the Presentation because 40 days after the birth of a male child who opens the womb, that child is presented in the temple and ransomed back from God. Let me talk about that a bit. This is not something that happens with every male child. It's not something that happens with every firstborn son. In other words, if, if you've already had a daughter and your next child is a son, he does not have to be bought back in the temple. It only happens in the case of a male child who, quote, opens the womb, close quote. In other words, is the first birth of the mother, first time the mother gives birth. In that case, 
the child is considered as belonging to God and for the parents to retain the child and raise him as a son, they have to buy the child back from God, so to speak, ransom him back from God by um, offering him in the temple and offering a, uh, a a sacrifice of two turtle doves. Actually, if they're wealthy enough, it's supposed to be one lamb and one uh, turtle or dove. But if they don't have the money for that, they can um, present two turtles or two doves. Now, it can easily be believed that the reason for this special special consecration of a male child who opens the womb was in fact in anticipation of the Messiah who was to come. Because the Messiah who was to come would, needless to say, be a male child and would be the firstborn child, in fact the only born child as we know, and the virgin, vir, uh, virginally born child as we know. And so one can think that all of the Jewish infant boys who were presented in the temple and purchased back for the preceding 2,000 years or so before Christ were actually there in case they turned out to be the Messiah, so to speak. And it was, in fact, for Jesus that that requirement was put into place. This is by nature somewhat speculative, but I remember as um, as being a, a, a Jewish little boy, um, and this is terribly male chauvinist, but I remember there was a sense of excitement over male children born into Jewish families because there was still a hope uh, in anticipation of the coming of the Messiah. So every time a male child was born, it was there was a little sense of, could this be it? Could this be the Messiah? Anyway, back to uh, Mary of Agrita. She had no doubts about, this is referring to the Blessed Virgin Mary, she had no doubts about complying with that part of the law, which applied to herself in common with other mothers. Not that she was ignorant of her in innocence and purity, for ever since the incarnation of the Word, she knew of her exemption from actual sin and from the stain of original sin. Nor was she ignorant of the fact that she had conceived by the Holy Ghost and brought forth without labor, remaining a virgin more pure than the sun. Yet she hesitated not to subject herself to the common law. On the contrary, in the ardent longing of her heart after humiliation and annihilation to the dust, she desired to do this of her own free will. So she desired to do it essentially as an act of humility and obedience. Um, the great lady conferred about the journey with her husband, and having resolved to be in Jerusalem on the very day appointed by the law, and having made the necessary preparations, they took leave. Uh, she covered herself for, uh, with a cloak for the journey, and receiving in her arms Jesus, the treasure of heaven, she pressed him to her breast, tenderly shielding him from the inclemency of the wintry weather. Uh, they departed from the cave, um, and thus began the most solemn procession which was ever held from Bethlehem to the temple in Jerusalem. For in company with the Prince of the Eternities, Jesus, the Queen, his mother, and St. Joseph, her spouse, 
journeyed the 10,000 angels that had assisted at these mysteries, and the other legions that had brought from heaven the sweet and holy name of Jesus at the circumcision. All these heavenly courtiers passed along in visible human forms so beautiful and shining that in comparison with them, all that is delightful or precious in the world is less than dirt or mud compared to the finest and purest gold. And in their splendor they obliterated the sun in its brightest light and would have turned night into the brightest day. The heavenly queen and St. Joseph rejoiced in their glory while all of them together exalted these mysteries by new canticles of praise in honor of the divine child about to be presented in the temple. In this fashion they journeyed the two leagues from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. So um, Venerable Mary of Agrita in this vision saw not only the Blessed Virgin Mary and Joseph and the infant Jesus processing from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, which is really only a distance of about five miles, but they were accompanied by 10,000 angels. During the journey of Our Lady with the infant God, it happened in Jerusalem that Simeon, the high priest, was enlightened by the Holy Ghost concerning the coming of the Incarnate Word and his presentation in the temple on the arms of his mother. The same revelation was given to the holy widow Anne, and she was also informed of the poverty and suffering of St. Joseph and the most pure lady on their way to Jerusalem. So as Joseph and Mary were setting out for Jerusalem, the holy elderly priest Simeon and the elderly widow Anne, both of whom lived in the temple, were um, supernaturally enlightened by the Holy Ghost concerning the coming of the Messiah. Simeon, as St. Luke tells us, was a just and God-fearing man and was hoping in the consolation of Israel. The Holy Ghost who dwelt in him had revealed to him that he should not taste death until he had seen the Christ the Lord. Moved by the Holy Spirit, he came to the temple, for in that night, besides the revelations he had already received, he was again divinely enlightened and made to understand more clearly the mysteries of the incarnation and redemption of man, the fulfillment of the prophecies of Isaiah, that a virgin should conceive and bear a son, and that from the root of Jesse a flower should blossom, namely Christ. Likewise, all the rest contained in these and other prophecies. He received a clear understanding of the hypostatic union of the two natures in the person of the Word and of the mysteries of the passion and death of the Redeemer. Thus instructed in these two high things, St. Simeon was lifted up and inflamed with the desire of seeing the Redeemer of the world. On the following day, then, as soon as he had received notice that Christ was coming to present himself in the temple to the Father, he was carried in spirit to the temple, for so great is the force of divine enlightenment. Also, the holy matron Anne was favored with a revelation during the same night concerning many of these mysteries, and great was the joy of her spirit on that account. For as I have said in the first part of this history, she had been the teacher of our queen during her stay in the temple. The evangelist tells us that she never left the temple grounds, serving in a day and night in prayer and fasting, that she was a prophetess, daughter of Samuel of the tribe of Asser. 
She had lived seven years with her husband and was now 80 years old. As will be seen, she spoke prophetically of the child's future. Um, and then, and then, uh, as happens in, in Mary of Agrita's visions, after a scene in the vision, the Blessed Virgin Mary gives an instruction to Mary of Agrita. Um, uh, so I will read a little bit from um, the Blessed Virgin Mary's commentary on the vision that uh, Mary of Agrita had just seen. Thou wilt understand, my dearest, why I also wish to comply with the law of the purification. For urged on by my love, which incessantly demanded that which was most perfect and agreeable to the Lord, I sought the fullness of perfection in all my doings, and it was precisely this anxiety which created in me such a desire of excellence in all my works. Labor to imitate me with all diligence in all that I did, for I assure thee, my dear, that it is this exercise of my love which the Most High is desiring and expecting of thee. And as is mentioned by the spouse in the canticles, he is watching thee so close at hand that not more than a slight screen intervenes between the soul and his vision of the Lord. Enamored and drawn onward, he approaches closely to those souls who thus love and serve him in all things, while he withdraws from the lukewarm and negligent ones, or deals with them only according to the general rules of his divine providence. Do thou aspire continually to the most pure to, to the most pure and perfect in the practice of virtues, and study and invent new schemes and projects of love, so that all the forces of thy interior and exterior faculties continue to be zealously occupied in what is most exalted and excellent in the service of the Lord. So what the Blessed Virgin Mary is underlining here is that the fact that she submitted herself to the ritual purification, which obviously was not required in her case, is yet another example of the fact that whenever she had any choice whatsoever, she chose to fulfill God's will most completely most perfectly, most seamlessly, most entirely, without a shadow, you know, without the slightest shadow of lack of um, fervency and, and completeness in fulfilling his will. And therefore, since it could be interpreted as applying to her, or, you know, it could be seen as being relevant to her, she wasn't going to forego an opportunity to do yet another act of service, act of obedience, act of conformity to the divine will. And throughout this passage, I have only read a, a portion of this passage, um, she is talking about the importance of not just doing one's duty with respect to God, but pouring oneself out as entirely as possible, not being tepid, not being lukewarm, not going halfway, not just fulfilling the letter of the requirement, but pouring oneself as entirely into the service and love of God as one possibly can. 
and as she points out, as she says, labor to imitate me with all diligence in all that I did, um, and that the Lord is watching us so close at hand that not more than a slight screen intervenes between the soul and its vision of the Lord. And the more we pour ourselves out in total embrace of the divine will and total obedience to whatever we might, in the, our most rigorous interpretation, think that the Lord wants, the more pleasing we will be to him. As she says, aspire continually to be most pure and perfect in the practice of virtues and study and invent new schemes and projects of love so that all the forces of thy interior and exterior faculties continue to be zealously occupied in what is most exalted and excellent in the service of the Lord. So that is a lesson that we can draw from her obedience to the law in the Old Testament about the purification of a mother after giving birth, and Jesus' obedience to the law in the Old Testament about the presentation of the male child who opens the womb to the Lord. By the way, I neglected to say at the outset of the show that this is a live call-in show. The number here is 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY. M-A-R-Y. And uh, if you wish to call in with a comment or a question, in a few minutes, we will be going to a short musical break. We usually do that about halfway through the show. And that's a particularly propitious time to call in because um, what I do is coming out of the break, I cast an eye on the call board and if any calls have come in, um, I can take the calls at that point without interrupting the reading and then go back to the reading. So I invite you to call uh, during the break in about in about four or five minutes, 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY, M-A-R-Y, if you have a comment or question. Now continuing with the reading of Mary of Greta's vision of the presentation of the Lord and the purification of the Blessed Virgin Mary. The sacred humanity of Christ belonged to the Eternal Father, not only because it was created like other beings, but it was his special property by virtue of the hypostatic union with the person of the Word, for this person of the Word, being his only begotten Son, was engendered of his substance, true God of true God. Nevertheless, the Eternal Father had decreed that his Son should be presented to him in the temple in mysterious compliance with the law of which Christ our Lord was the end. It was established for no other purpose than that the just men of the Old Testament should perpetually sanctify and offer to the Lord their firstborn sons in the hope that one thus presented might prove to be the Son of God and a child of the mother of the expected Messiah. So that is the point actually that I was alluding to earlier in the show that according to Mary of Agrida, or according to Blessed Virgin Mary, if it's the Blessed Virgin Mary who was revealing this to Mary of Agrita, that law about the presentation of the male child who opens the womb was established for 2,000 years or so for no other reason that when the Messiah came, when Christ came, he should in that way be thus presented in the temple to God his Father. Of course, it was prophesied in the Old Testament 
that the Messiah was to be born of a virgin. So, of course, he would be the male child opening the womb. Um, continuing. Full of this holy science, the great princess, that's the Blessed Virgin Mary, passed the night before his presentation in the temple in divine colloquies. Speaking to the Father, she said, My Lord and God Most High, Father of my Lord, a festive day for heaven and earth will be that in which I shall bring and offer to thee in thy holy temple the living host, which is at the same time the treasure of thy divinity. Rich, O my Lord and God, is this oblation, and thou canst well pour forth in return for it thy mercies upon the human race, pardoning the sinners that have turned from the straight path, consoling the afflicted, helping the needy, enriching the poor, succoring the weak, enlightening the blind, and meeting those who have strayed away. This is, my Lord, what I ask of thee in offering to thee thy only begotten, who, by thy merciful condescension, is also my son. If thou hast given him to me as a god, I return him to thee as god and man. His value is infinite, and what I ask of thee is much less. In opulence do I return to thy holy temple from which I departed poor, and my soul shall magnify thee forever, because thy divine right hand has shown itself toward me so liberal and powerful. On the next morning, the Son of Heaven being now ready to issue from its pure dawning, the Virgin Mary, on whose arms he reclined, and being about to rise up in full view of the world, the Heavenly Lady, having provided the turtle dove and two candles, wrapped him in swaddling clothes and betook herself with St. Joseph from their lodging to the temple. The holy angels who had come with them from Bethlehem again formed in procession, in corporal and most beautiful forms, just as had been said concerning the journey of the preceding day. Having arrived at the temple gate, the Most Blessed Mother was filled with new and exalted sentiments of devotion. Joining the other women, she bowed and knelt to adore the Lord in spirit and in truth in his holy temple, and she presented herself before the exalted majesty of God with his Son upon her arms. Immediately she was immersed in an intellectual vision of the Most Holy Trinity, and she heard a voice issuing from the Eternal Father, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. St. Joseph, the most fortunate of men, felt at the same time a new sweetness of the Holy Ghost, which filled him with joy and divine light. And um, we're about to go into the scene of Simeon, but I see we have a caller. Are you there, Greg? Uh, yes, I am. Uh, yes, I am. Uh, uh, did you have a comment or a question? I, I did have a question. Um, I've heard your uh, vision story countless times. I just, for whatever reason, have never picked up when that happened to you. And I also have your books, uh, uh, Salvation is from the Jews and Honey uh, from, was it Honey from the Rock, I think? Um, but I was just curious also, um, of the books that you've done, um, is there are those the favorites, or do you have one that you think is even you know more enlightening? Okay, thank you. Um, okay, uh, the um, my initial experiences that brought me into the Catholic Church. Yeah. Uh, it's ancient history now. It's eighty seven and eighty eight. 
So you can do the arithmetic, but my goodness, it's all, it's about 30 years ago. Wow. Which isn't surprising because I was at least 30 years younger at the time. Um, so that's the answer to that question. And the books, Salvation is from the Jews and Honey from the Rock, they're very parallel. Um, Honey from the Rock is a collection of witness testimonies of Jews who have entered the Catholic Church. And in that way, it shows the continuity between Judaism and the Catholic Church. And Salvation is from the Jews is theology. So it explains the continuity between Judaism and the Catholic Church. But in a way, they trace the same path in different ways. Okay. And can I ask one last question? Uh, recently, I started listening um, to Mother Miriam. I didn't realize she had a podcast until you mentioned her uh, maybe a week or two ago. And I was just curious, how did you come to know her? Um, because I know she had this similar type of conversion. I don't, I don't know that she had the vision, but she did have a conversion from a devout Jewish family and then moved the same way. Um, y- yes. I, um, it's a good question. I'm, I'm trying to remember. First of all, I knew her from EWTN, so she was like a superstar to me. And then I met her brother, who's the head of the Association of Hebrew Catholics. And I became somewhat friendly with him, uh, David Moss. And uh, and then I met Rosalind, well, she was Rosalind Moss in those days. Um, you know, I don't really remember. I, I don't really remember. I think I probably only met her after my book was published. And, mm-hmm. uh, oh, wait a minute, I do remember actually when I met her. <laughs> it's a kind of a funny story, but... Um, the uh, the U.S. bishops issued a document called Reflections on Covenant and Mission, which was rather wishy-washy about the evangelization of the Jews. It was it was basically suggesting that Judaism is great for Jews and you know Christianity is for non-Jews, and us Jewish Catholic converts were quite distressed by that. So somebody organized, I think it was probably David Moss, organized a visit to the bishop who had been behind that document. And so four of us went down to Washington, D.C. to present our perspective to the bishop, a cardinal. He was actually a cardinal. And um, um, Mother Miriam was one of those four when she was Rosalind Moss, and I was another of those four. And uh, that's that's actually my first time of meeting her. But we've become good friends since then. So anyway, thank you for your question and thank for you. your interest and for listening. But I better get back to Simeon or or uh we'll be left we'll be left with uh Jesus not yet being presented fully. So thanks for calling. Thank you. And um okay, I'll uh, what I'll do now is I will um I guess to do okay. Uh, I, I will go on to Simeon, and then we'll have our short musical break, because the music that is queued up is actually a beautiful chant of Simeon's Nunc Dimittis, of what he said when he was presented with the infant child Jesus. So so uh, I want to give the backdrop before we hear the music. The holy high priest Simeon, moved by the Holy Ghost, also entered the temple at that time. This is when the Blessed Virgin Mary entered with uh, Jesus. Approaching the place where the queen stood with the infant Jesus in her arms, he saw both mother and child enveloped in splendor and glory. 
the prophetess Anne, who, as the evangelist says, has had come at the same hour, also saw Mary and her infant surrounded by this wonderful light. In the joy of their spirit, both of them approached the Queen of Heaven, and the priest received the infant Jesus from her arms on his hands. Raising up his eyes to heaven, he offered him up to the Eternal Father, pronouncing at the same time these words so full of mysteries. Now dost thou dismiss thy servant, O Lord, according to thy word in peace, because my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all peoples, a light for the revelation of the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. It was as if he had said, Now, Lord, thou wilt release me from the bondage of this mortal body, and let me go free and in peace, for until now I have been detained in it by the hope of seeing thy promises fulfilled, and by the desire of seeing thy only begotten made man. Now that my eyes have seen thy salvation, the only begotten made man, joined to our nature in order to give it eternal welfare, according to the intention and eternal decree of thy infinite wisdom and mercy, I shall now enjoy true and secure peace. Now, O Lord, thou hast prepared and placed before all mortals thy divine light, that it may shine upon the world, and that all who wish may enjoy it throughout the universe, and derive from it guidance and salvation. For this is the light which is revealed to the Gentiles, for the glory of thy chosen people of Israel. So that's what Simeon said when the infant Jesus was placed in his arms in the temple at the presentation. And now if we can go to our musical break, it is going to be that Nunc Dimittis, that canticle, chanted very beautifully in Latin. So with that, we'll go to our musical break, and I'll be back in a few minutes with more of Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism. You're listening to me, Roy Shoman, on Radio Maria. Now for the uh, musical interlude. Okay, well, welcome back. And um, we've been reading from uh, Mary of Agrita's um, visions of of uh, the presentation of Jesus in the temple. And we have just gotten to what you just heard, which is Simeon receiving Jesus and, and singing the canticle that is said uh, around the world for centuries and centuries and centuries by every religious and religious community um, as part of night prayer. The Nunc Dimittis, now thou dost dismiss thy servant, O Lord, according to thy word in peace. So continuing from there, um, continuing with the reading from Mary of Agrita, Simeon, addressing himself to the most holy mother of the infant Jesus, then added, Behold, this child is set for the fall and for the resurrection of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be contradicted. And thy own soul a sword shall pierce, that out of many hearts thoughts may be revealed. Thus St. Simeon, and being a priest, he gave his blessing to the happy parents of the child. Now, um, that of course is the sword of sorrow that pierced the Blessed Virgin Mary, is when Simeon told the Blessed Virgin Mary, about the uh, suffering that was also going to be associated with Jesus being the Messiah and her being the mother of the Messiah. Behold, this child is set for the fall and for the resurrection of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be contradicted. 
and thy own soul a sword shall pierce, that out of many hearts thoughts may be revealed. Then also the prophetess Anne acknowledged the incarnate word, and full of the Holy Ghost she spoke of the mysteries of the Messiah to many who were expecting the redemption of Israel. By these two holy old people, public testimony of the coming of the Redeemer was given to the world. At the moment when the priest Simeon mentioned the sword and the sign of contradiction, which were prophetical of the passion and death of the Lord, the child bowed its head. Thereby, and by many interior acts of obedience, Jesus ratified the prophecy of the priest and accepted it as the sentence of the Eternal Father pronounced by his minister. All this the loving mother noticed and understood. She presently began to feel the sorrow predicted by Simeon, and thus in advance she was wounded by the sword of which she had thus been warned. As in a mirror, her spirit was made to see all the mysteries included in this prophecy, how her most holy son was to be the stone of stumbling, the perdition of the unbelievers, and the salvation of the faithful, the fall of the synagogue and the establishment of the church among the heathens. She foresaw the triumph to be gained over the devils and over death, but also that a great price was to be paid for it, namely, the frightful agony and death of the cross. She foresaw the boundless opposition and contradiction which the Lord Jesus was to sustain both personally and in his church. At the same time, she also saw the glory and excellence of the predestined souls. Most Holy Mary knew it all, and in the joy and sorrow of her most pure soul, excited by the prophecies of Simeon and these hidden mysteries, she performed heroic acts of virtue. All these sayings and happenings were indelibly impressed upon her memory, and of all that she understood and experienced, she forgot not the least iota. At all times she looked upon her most holy son with such a living sorrow, as we, mere human creatures with hearts so full of ingratitude, shall never be able to feel. The holy spouse St. Joseph was by these prophecies also made to see many of the mysteries of the redemption and of the labors and sufferings of Jesus. The ceremony of the presentation thus being over, the great lady kissed the hand of the priest and again asked his blessing. Then, in the company of St. Joseph, her spouse, and of the 14,000 angels in procession, she returned with the divine infant to her lodging. She was visited with many favors and consolations in recompense for the sorrow caused by the prophecies of the priest. In order to heighten their sweetness, her most holy son spoke to her on one of these days, saying, My dearest mother and my dove, dry up thy tears, and let thy purest heart be expanded, since it is the will of my Father that I accept the death of the cross. I desire that thou be my companion in my labors and sufferings. I long to undergo them for souls, who are the works of my hands, made according to my image and likeness, in order to make them partakers of my reign and of eternal life and triumph over my enemies. This is what thou thyself dost wish in union with me. The mother answered, O my sweetest love and son of my womb, if my accompanying thee shall include not only the privilege of witnessing and pitying thy sufferings, 
but also of dying with thee, so much the greater will be my relief. For it will be a greater suffering for me to live while seeing thee die. In these exercises of love and compassion she passed some days until St. Joseph was advised to fly into Egypt, as I shall relate in the following chapter. So that was the account of the uh, presentation. I see we have another caller. Um, are you there? What's your name and where are you calling from? Hi, Roy. This is Calatina again. Hello. How Welcome again. Good. Did you have, have a question. comment or a question? I do. I was wondering, is the 40-day present- presentation still something that is practiced in the Jewish um, tradition, the law? Uh, it's a good question, but, you know, there's a, something terrible happened, which is there hasn't been a temple for 2,000 years. It's actually not terrible. It's actually good because because the reason there hasn't been a temple is that Judaism has been uh, replaced, essentially, certainly sacramentally replaced by the Catholic Church. But this is something that required the temple and the priesthood. And there hasn't been a temple or a genuine Jewish priesthood since the destruction of the temple. So all of the laws in the Old Testament which required a ritual priesthood or a temple, haven't been able to be followed for 2,000 years by the Jews. Okay. So does that answer your question? Yes, because we still do it in the, in the Eastern Orthodox Church. I have four children, and three are boys and one is girl. And the boys were able to go actually inside the altar, but the girl, my daughter wasn't. Um, I think that's just in the... I think in all Orthodox, the, I think only the boys are allowed to go inside the um, the altar. I was just wondering if that's still practice in the Jewish law. Well, well, don't I mean the the presentation was something special. It was only for a male child who is the firstborn child. There's still circumcision. There, yeah. In other words, there still is something quite analogous to what you're talking about in the Eastern Church. You know, the, the, the male child is presented, uh, usually it is in the synagogue, and it, it, there is a ritual circumcision and a celebration of that and a naming and so forth. So there still is a consecration to God. It just is in the presentation, which was unique to um, a very particular circumstance, which was a firstborn child who happened to be male. So... Um, Yes, and my guess is that that what you're talking about is more analogous to that than it is to the presentation. I see. Okay. Thank you, Roy. Thank you, Roy. Sure thing. Thanks for listening. Um, I want to make a little side trip now from Mary of Agrida to Anne Catherine Emmerich, who is also a... um, I think she's she's at least a blessed if she isn't a saint, and she's also a... uh, visionary, you know, stigmatist, uh, mystic, uh, victim soul who had visions of the life of Jesus. And I want to read her passage from the presentation when in which she has seen, she saw the presentation celebrated in heaven at the time. So I want to describe, I want to read that. It's an incredibly beautiful picture. And there are some additional theological truths that seem to be pictorially presented in it. So this is now from Anne Catherine Emmerich's description of the presentation. Remember, the presentation and the purification are 
two sides of the same coin or two things that happened um, simultaneously. I saw the festival of the purification celebrated also in the spiritual church. It was filled with angelic choirs, and in the center above them I saw the most holy trinity, and in it something like a void. In the middle of the church stood an altar, and on it a tree with broad pendant leaves, much like the tree in paradise by which Adam fell. I saw the Blessed Virgin with the child Jesus in her arms, floating up from the earth to the altar, while the tree on the same inclined low before her and began to wither. A magnificent angel in priestly garments, a halo around his head, approached Mary. She gave him the child, and he laid it upon the altar. At that instant, I saw the Most Holy Trinity as ever before in its fullness. I saw the angel give to Mary a little shining ball, on which was the figure of a swathed child, and I saw her with this gift hovering over the altar. From all sides I saw crowds of poor people approaching Mary with lights. She reached those lights to the child on the ball, which into which they seemed to pass, and then to reappear. I saw that all these lights united into one, which spread over Mary and the child, and illumined all things. Mary had extended her wide mantle over the whole earth, and now there was a festival. I think that the withering of the tree of knowledge at Mary's appearance, and the offering of the child to the Most Holy Trinity, signified the reuniting of the human race with God, and through Mary those scattered lights became one light in the light of Jesus, and illumined all things. So ends the uh, description of the uh, pure of the presentation and the purification by Anne Catherine Emmerich. Now, you know, uh, coming from Judaism, this is very, very suggestive, because um, Jewish mystical theology states that there is. Um, I'm not going to do justice to this, but essentially, there's a divine spark in every human soul, and that that divine spark will be reunited with divinity through the Messiah. So it's like all those little little sparks in every human soul will be joined together into, into a kind of a globe of fire and reunited with divinity with the coming of the Messiah. And this picture, actually, is very reminiscent of that. Very reminiscent. Um, I saw the angel give to Mary a little shining ball with the figure of the swallowed child. And then she saw crowds of poor people approaching Mary with lights. She reached those lights to the child into uh, on the ball into which they seemed to pass and then reappear. I saw all these lights united into one, which spread over Mary and the child and illumined all things. Mary had extended her wide mantle over the whole earth. I think that the withering of the tree of knowledge and Mary's appearance and the offering of the child to the Most Holy Trinity signified the reuniting of the human race with God, and through Mary, those scattered lights became one light in the light of Jesus and illumined all things. Needless to say, I think that that um, Anne Catherine Emmer got that right, and that um, with the incarnation of Christ, with our 
redemption through Christ, all of humanity um, has the potential, obviously, to be reunited with God through Mary and through Christ and into the Most Holy Trinity. That that the original harmony and, and union between man and God, which Adam had, which was shattered with the fall, was not only reestablished, but was made infinitely deeper, infinitely more profound through the incarnation of God as man, and then through our possibility to be, as the Eastern Church has divinized, through our participation in Christ, to re-enter, so to speak, the Most Holy Trinity through the intermediation of Mary, by, in some sense by passing through Mary mystically and entering into Christ mystically. Um, the, with the incarnation, and this came up earlier in, in, the, in the reading by Mary of Agrita, with the incarnation of, of uh, Jesus, Jesus had, was one person and he had a full divine nature and he had a full human nature and the human nature and the divine nature were joined into a single person in Jesus and ever since then human nature and divine nature have merged in a way which was never the case before and in the course of our sanctification, it basically, if we make it to heaven, we will be benefiting from that merger of our human nature with God's divine nature through Jesus and through the Blessed Virgin Mary. So that's probably a pretty good place to stop, but that's in some sense what the presentation and the purification is about. So I'm glad I was able to spend this time today um, meditating, so to speak, through the words of... Um, of uh, Mary of Agrita and Anne Catherine Emmerich, and I hope I brought you along a little bit in that beautiful stream of thoughts, the profundity of these Catholic feasts are, they're bottomless, they're just bottomless. There's a good reason they're called mysteries, um, but it's incredibly beautiful and, and incredibly profound. And uh, since we may have a few moments, I want to ask the studio if perhaps uh, going out of the show we could again be treated to the chant of Simeon's uh, Nunc Dimittis, now let thy servant depart in peace because he has seen the redemption of mankind through the coming of the Messiah, through the coming of our Lord. And with that, you've been listening to Roy Showman on Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria. And please join us again next week, same time, same place. It's time to say bye for now. <laughs>